This is Kanzenshu, the podcast, episode 483, for the week of July 26th, 2020. Hey there, welcome back to Kanzenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all encompassing Dragon Ball fan site. Kanzenshu. Yeah, so we cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening a little bit of entertaining. Well, hello, sir. That's Heath. It is I. I have returned. Uh, from where? Um, well, I haven't really left my house, uh, so I, I guess I haven't really returned. I returned <laughs> to the airwaves, uh, but that's good. in a physical manifestation, I have not left. Oh, that's Heath. I am Mike. Uh, you may see him, Sujio. You may see me, Fuchito EX. Back at you with the next podcast episode here. I've actually already recorded three entirely different segments. They're all recorded. They're all edited. They're all ready to go. So you're the one holding me up. Hey, I gave you options, and you're like, hey, let's do it on Monday. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it's fine. So it's all your fault that it's my fault. <laughs> what are we doing this episode? Well, we're going to do one of those wiki editor check-ins where we, we talk with some of the folks who are working on our uh, constantly in-progress Consensio Wiki about uh, some of the things, not just some of the things they're working on, but some of the things they've learned, some of the things we've all collectively learned, uh, new discoveries, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think the, the three conversations here really run the gamut of talking about pure history, pure documentation, kind of even the history of documentation. Uh, then we're going to get into le- legitimate new discoveries and unearthings through hacking away at things. Uh, and then we're also just going to talk fun, just like um, you know the nuts and bolts of what goes into working on a page and some of the cool things you notice when when you change your approach from simply watching to watching for documentation, which is certainly something you and I have talked about on the show in the past, but it's nice to kind of tune that to old material as opposed to new material. Yes. And to be fair, you say always in progress, Wiki. I would caveat that with this is the most in progress the wiki has ever been so it is it is very nice to see the amount of progress that everybody has you know made so far yeah yeah so you and i were we're setting up the show right now (laughs) we're gonna transition over to those topics uh and then we're gonna come back and you and i are going to talk about some of our own site and wiki work and and stuff going on and and future teases and all that jazz so i guess without any further adieu uh who do we have on the show who wants to listen to us just talk (laughs) they're not here for us no one (laughs) they're not here for me first up we're going to talk with trez about uh viz manga the history of viz manga releases and documenting those and then uh she's turned her attention over to cataloging Shinsuke Kikuchi's music throughout the entirety of the Dragon Ball series. So we'll chat all that stuff up. God bless her soul. Next up, we're going to talk with Jay. You may see him around his PSP talking about Budokai 1 a little more, but uh, some real fun discoveries he's made. Just hacking the hell out of that game. Hacking it apart, ripping it to shreds. <laughs> what can we find lurking under the surface that was uh, effectively done, maybe? And then rounding things up, third in line, Joe, JRP. We're going to talk the Afterlife Tournament. Uh, not really a, uh, a review of the arc, although he certainly gives his impressions but uh fun details things you noticed in the background you go to cross-reference something you go to write down a name like wait a minute none of this makes any sense so we're going to chat that out and then on the flip side heath you and i we're going to come back around talk about all of our own bs so uh again let's get on into it that order right there right now let's go first in line for our uh you know i call it like a wiki editor check-in 
but it's more than that because we're, uh, we're we're not just talking about what we're all working on, but we're also sharing new information and things we learn, all that good stuff. Therese, welcome back. It's been a few episodes since you've been on here. Great to have you. Good to be back. So <laughs> I'm going to spoil things. You're worried about people thinking... You're a little schizophrenic on what you work on. I say that, that I say that's not a concern because anyone who listens to the show knows that Heath, Julian, Jake, myself, we, we all have always worked on a million things at once. And uh, you know, we're distracted by a bird that flies by and we move on to something else from what we're previously working on. Uh, but you have a couple things that you have been working on, wanting to work on, got distracted to work on for the wiki. I think there's good information in there, good history. I would love to hear about some of this stuff. Uh, one of them is kind of a continuation on something you've talked about previously on the show, and that's your your music cataloging. Uh, and another is something um, from ye olden days, the the history of the Vizmonga release. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about both with you today. Is there one you would prefer to start with? I guess let's start with the Viz. Like, okay. I kind of, it's been a month since I was working on it, but yeah, that's probably a good place to start. So I, I know we have a manga guide on Konsenshu, but it's really focused on the original Japanese version. Um, and we've had a DVD guide and you know, obviously Blu-ray as well, uh, that, that does focus on the North American market in addition to, uh, the Japanese market. But for the manga, there really hasn't been a central resource. And we've certainly had threads on our forum over the years, documented things like the three-in-ones, like the Viz Bigs. Uh, we really wanted to take everything kind of back to the beginning. And you you decided, well, I'm, I'm just going to buy everything, acquire everything, all versions of everything. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. And it's like impossible really to get, I mean, not impossible. I'd have to have a lot more money than I have to get every version of everything because some things are different between print editions, like even the same edition, like different printings of that edition yeah. will have different levels of censorship. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I have a 2019 version, I think, of volume one of the Dragon Ball manga. And it's like printing number, I don't know, it was a really high number. Not have to buy every single one of those to really have everything. Yeah. You know? People have this question, and I feel like we've run into this, where someone's saying, well, I'm looking at volume nine of the red graphic novel version of Dragon Ball, and mine says this and shows this, and someone else is saying, I have that exact same thing, and mine says and shows something completely different. And yeah, that, that actually is a problem, an issue here. And I even discovered that the digital graphic novels that you can get through Amazon, the Kindle version, are different from the Viz graphic novels that you can buy directly from <laughs> Viz on their website. Oh, man. They have different levels of censorship. And then that's different from the digital chapters that you can get on the website. Oh, my goodness. Like, there is no central, like, this is our digital version. It's actually whatever someone pulled out of a hard drive that one day to provide to that one service. That's what went up. Right. Man, and, you know, we're seeing similar problems with that now with Super yeah. because the 
simulpub chapters are different from the graphic novel versions they put out later. Yeah, and even within that, there are occasionally typos, or uh, I, I think back to that that one, the legendary Super Saiyan that was changed to legendary Saiyan that was done during the original simulpub, um, and that is different from the, the final uh, release as well. Yeah, and that's that's just tech stuff. That's in addition to um, Viz redraws all the sound effects for the final uh, collected edition. It's I mean, there's so many differences here. Yeah, I did uh, a breakdown of all of it for chapter one. Mm -hmm. That's where I started with the censorship and other types of edits. And it's just unreal how many different versions of everything there can be. Different levels of censorship, even with the visual edits that they did. Well, the question always is, all right, what version do I buy? And I feel like we're discovering more and more. You can't even recommend a version because you don't know what they're going to get. Yeah, I think lately it's probably better just to tell people to get either the big Viz Bigs and the advantage of those is the color pages and the nice paper. Right. That's that's what I normally tell people to get because the censorship is just not as big a deal to me as the color pages. Mm. That's just me. Yeah, yeah. And the nice paper is good, too. But, you know, if they're really worried about censorship, then you tell them to get the three-in-one version. But neither of those are, you know, representative of anything that was sold in Japan. Right. You know, they're viz-only editions, omnibus editions. Yeah, there's no perfect solution. I wish they had just done the Kanzenban. <laughs> yep, that's what we all wanted. Well, we all still hope for great. it. <laughs> <laughs> One day. One day, indeed. So I guess go back to the wiki a little bit. So you said you started with chapter one. And I mean, you, we're literally starting with chapter one, going back to 1998. Was it March 1998 with the original monthly floppies? You ended up buying all of those too, right? Yeah. Well, that was actually the main focus of my project there was uh, documenting all the floppies because... You know, those have been out of print for a long time. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't know anything about. Right. So uh, I'm real excited about documenting that and showing which chapters in it, you know, what the censorship was like in those. Um, and the reader letters are also really interesting. Uh, the covers are nice. You know, there's only, you know, usually just two, maybe three or more chapters in these floppies. So you get a different... Toriyama illustration on each one. So those are really nice looking. So I know we have a page for, because uh, I started it, <laughs> the, the monthly floppies, and you really just took over from there and you built that out. Uh, and I feel like that's a real good base. We're probably going to have similar pages for like the graphic novel versions, the three in ones, the the Viz Bigs. But for right now, you've gone back and you're you're doing it back to the page for chapter one in the wiki, and you uh, and you documented the the different types of whether it's the self censorship or the text changes or or those kinds of things. So is that? I mean, we always talk about we want to set a baseline for what a page should be, and I feel like that's another part of that for a chapter page, probably. Yeah, and you know, I'm always telling myself, well, now I'm going to go to the next chapter, but then I end up doing something else. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was making pages, the, the bulk of my work was making pages for the floppies, each individual issue. Right, okay. Um, mm -hmm. And setting those up, and then, you know, adding them to the table where you can see all of them uh, in one run. Um, I don't know if that is documented anywhere on the internet. I looked for it, and I didn't find anything. 
So no, not a whole um, lot. I mean, we had that old manga reference guide that was just text in old HTML tables that Julian did on Daisenshu EX, and uh, I don't. I know you used it a little bit. I don't know how necessarily complete or even accurate some of it was. I mean, it's it's hard for us to go back and look at something that we did so many years ago and like, all right, what was the thought process? Why did we arrange it this way? I feel like I'm having that problem with a lot of stuff where it's like, well, this page that you were asking me about CDs the other day, and you're like, well, I don't see it listed on this page like well it's on the miscellaneous page because for this reason and well that made sense in 2002 but here in 2020 i don't even know how to categorize some of this stuff right yeah it can be a little bit difficult on the site especially if you don't know a whole lot about what you're looking for right yeah yeah then you're not not going to know where to find it so that's one thing that the wiki is good for you can just search cross-reference everything with internal links you know it's all very straightforward uh, how to find stuff. So let's go over to music documentation. You've talked in the past about uh, setting up the Sumitomo catalog and every episode is going to have a breakdown of what music is played in that episode, catalog numbers where we know them, titles when we know them. Um, each piece is going to have its own page showing all the episodes it's used in. You have turned your attention back to the one and only Mr. Shinsuke Kikuchi and the Kikuchi catalog uh, has begun. That's right. And uh, fortunately, uh, Kinesu oh, yeah. already did, you know, the big bulk of the documentation work. Uh, and so basically what I'm doing is going through and making sure everything is correct uh, and applying the sequential catalog numbers that we were using for Sumitomo to Kikuji. And I'm already up to like... 80 unique tracks and I'm like eight episodes in, which I guess isn't surprising. <laughs> right, right. It's a lot. I started on that because we have a community rewatch coming up on our new subreddit, um, our Dragon Ball. Mm-hmm. And Joe said that he was inspired by that to try to follow along with it and do all of his work for the episode pages related to it while it's ongoing. So I decided that I would do that too, and that brought me to Kikuchi. <laughs> like you start off, you start up all these other projects that light a fire under your ass to go do something else, and I I just love how one project begets another project here. So I've been wanting to do Kikuchi for a while. I started it a while back, probably about six months ago, I want to say, mm-hmm. and I hit a snag. Like I wasn't sure how to deal with things that might be stock music. Right. Uh, obviously don't want to put those in the Kikuchi catalog because they're probably not him. So after I thought about it for a few months, I decided I was comfortable going forward with it. And I'm just going to separate the ones out into a uncertain authorship category and keep that completely separate from the Kikuchi catalog. And I'm probably going to do something similar with Sumitomo because I've come across a few tracks and super and other stuff that I'm not quite sure about with him. And what are those things? Are, are they things like something plays on a radio or it's a little television that's ditty? Right. Just like something that's clearly not a, a real composition for the show. Exactly. For example, in episode two, um, when Goku goes inside the capsule house for the first time yeah. and turns on the TV, mm, yep, yep. there are two separate uh, tracks that, play you know one on one channel and then he changes the channel and there's another one 
And those are probably not Kikuchi. Right. So I'm going to keep those out of the catalog. They're going to be on the music table, but they'll have like separate catalog numbers with a U instead of a K just to make sure that we're clear that they're different things. So it's been a while since we talked about this and maybe there's new listeners don't know what we're talking about. Just kind of give me the basics on this kind of music catalog. Um, what are you basing it on? What else is out there? Um, and what's the, the approach for it? Cause I just find this utterly fascinating. It, it's so cool to me. It's based on um, catalogs like the, the Kershaw catalog from uh, Mozart, uh, which is also K numbers. Like a composer will give their own catalog numbers to stuff a lot of the time, and they're usually opus numbers. Mm, right. Okay. But, you know, after they die, you're always finding all of these works that they never published, mm. uh, stuff like that. And maybe they have like three unpublished minuets in G minor, you know, and how do you differentiate between these three minuets in G minor? Uh, you have to give it a catalog number. And usually what they try to do is they go back to, you know, when the composer was born and start from there in the first piece, they give it the number one and the next piece, they give it the number two. And that can be really, really subjective. And with this, it's not. It's really easy because I'm just dealing with their Dragon Ball compositions. And, you know, they very objectively premiered in a certain order in the show or in the movies. Mm -hmm. um, so all I have to do is number them by the order that they appeared. And if we get to the point where an OST is released and some tracks on it were not used in the show, I can just tack those onto the end of the catalog. And then I usually move on to a new prefix, kind of like the M numbers Yeah, yeah. have uh, shifting prefixes. You know, you don't necessarily go from 200 to 299, you know, you just go through the 200s until you get to the end, which might, I don't. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like 244 or something. I don't know. And then you skip to 300. So I'm going to try to keep consistent with the M number prefixes. So you can, you know, keep the same idea about where those prefixes were used. Got it. But the numbers aren't going to be the same because mine is sequential. I mean, you're, you're mentioning these M numbers. There actually is a catalog uh, for Kikuchi. Uh, we just don't know all of them, right? That's right. Uh, sometimes they tell us in the liner notes what their internal catalog numbers were. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a bunch of the official catalog numbers, I think, for everything that was published uh, well, released mm -hmm. on an album. We have catalog numbers for most of those. Right. And <laughs> the the music releases are, have always been a thorn in our side where they're not all of the music from a movie will be released alongside the rest of the movie music. And then something will come out later that'll have more, but less at the same time. We don't we still don't get everything. Uh, I'm, I'm real curious. There's I feel like there's I knew this at one point in time. I feel like there's not any music released that was unused, but there's certainly plenty of unreleased music. And there's also probably stuff that was composed for a movie, but went unused in that movie itself that it was composed for, but did end up getting used in the TV series. So that's sure going to be fun. Yeah. Well, there are tracks that end up on OST releases that were never used. Um, I know for certain there are with Sumitomo mm. um, and the super stuff, but I was reading through Kenesu's forum thread, uh, the one that you linked for me, 
last night, and I saw a mention of a couple of other ones. Okay, that cool, were cool. Never used. Man, <laughs> I'm so yeah. I'm I'm impressed and appreciative of all the stuff that folks have done. Uh, Kenny Sue Kenneth, I mean, this has just been one of his babies for many many years, and, and I I so appreciate his blessing for us to use this as the basis and incorporate it into the site. And I, I love all the stuff that you're doing. So just with all that in mind, one more time, what can people expect to see on a wiki page um, that will then link to what, like what's an episode page going to have? What's a catalog page going to have? Yeah. Well, okay. For the music stuff, the pages that I have to deal with are number one, the catalog itself, which has everything on it mm-hmm. uh, with a sequential numbering. And it'll show you which episode it debuted in, uh, the tonality of the piece, and the releases that it's available on. And then there's the episode pages that break down scene by scene where each thing appears. Um, and then there are release pages uh, that show you all the track, the track listing. Uh, we're going to try to get some liner notes translated, hopefully, maybe, and... Like the, the suites that are on the Kikuchi, uh, soundtrack releases. Yeah, yeah. Like each track would be a suite of, um, you know, three to five different, uh, distinct pieces. So I'm going to go down and break through those on the release pages. And then there are the individual track pages where I'll break down what we know about the track, do a little section on Kinesu and whatever he called it because he gave his titles to everything. Um, and compositional analysis, like we talked about before with Sumitomo. Mm-hmm. And then a table that'll have every scene in the series where that track was used. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're just going to have all these things. And it's... It sounds so easy. Yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's really impressive, though. I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's informative. I, I just love it. It's the kind of stuff that people ask for, too, and, and they really want to know. We we still see so often, despite the fact that uh, Kenny Suicide exists, and uh, people are like, what, what song was played in this scene? And we're never going to be at a point. I mean, my pie in the sky is that, Sometime down the road, maybe not in our lifetimes, someone will just say, oh, here's the page on content you for. I feel like we we have a lot of that now. And eventually I would love to have even more of that because I'm, I'm truly of the belief that if you want a piece of information, if you want an answer to a question, text is the best way to get that. It's something you can quickly glance through. Yeah, and come back to easy yeah. and search through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, control F I'm is the, the most important thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly the same. But, you know, so many people these days are not. They just want to watch a YouTube video. Yeah, I, I don't get that. I'm rebelling against it. <laughs> I really feel like I, this is the I best way. I wouldn't say that I'm rebelling against it necessarily, but <laughs> I definitely don't get it. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, the one thing that I'm obsessing about that other people might not care about so much is the sequential catalog numbers. Mm. Because, you know, people hate using numbers they always want a title yeah what's the name of this song i'm <laughs> like well it's right. m146 even if it's a title that, yeah <laughs> even if somebody just made up the title they don't care they want they want words right. to call it by <laughs> so yeah i'm obsessing about the sequential catalog numbering and hopefully there there'll be like two or three people out there who will appreciate that you know because they've you know maybe worked with classical music like i have exactly. and they're used to it and they want that kind of thing you know that kind of 
<laughs> objective uh, classification. But yeah, I think most people aren't going to care about that. And that's the most stressful part, because if I screw something up, uh, like if I assign something the wrong catalog number, if I missed a track or something mm-hmm. like that, then it, it screws up everything up the chain um, and I have to totally redo it. Um well, I mean, that that makes me wonder. So uh, there's so much music in Dragon Ball, and obviously you've seen it before. You you know, the, you listen to the music. But what is that process? Like when you're on episode eight and you're like, did I hear this piece before? Like, what are you doing? Are you going back and you just double click in MP3s just to double check things? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I have. Well, I have recorded, you know, my documentation from earlier episodes, so I can just look at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that helps. And then if I'm, I don't remember what it sounds like, then yeah, I've got, uh, everything in files that I can just click and make sure it's the same thing. I can only barely wrap my head around this. <laughs> this is why I'm in awe of it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's not that hard. Uh, sometimes it gets a little bit tricky because, uh, there might be two distinct tracks that are really similar. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is one of the, the errors that I caught on Kenny Sue's page, but apparently people have known about it for years, but he just never bothered to fix it on the page, which I understand because I have projects from years ago and other fandoms that I have also abandoned. <laughs> so <laughs> I understand how this stuff goes. But um, anyway, it's a Kikuchi track that plays when the Dragon Balls are out, Mm -hmm. or at least there's a sound that's almost like a sound effect, Uh, but it's definitely Kikuchi because in a couple of distinct tracks, it resolves into actual music, so we know it's his. Gotcha. But yeah, there's like three distinct ones, and Kenny Sue only uh, cataloged two distinct ones, so where there were two tracks before, now there are three, and one of them, like he categorized or he marked it down in episode one in the wrong place. Mm. And that place where he marked it down in episode one in the wrong place was a sound effect. But every other time after that, where he marked it, it was the actual Kikuchi sound. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I started out and I was going somewhere with that and I don't remember where it was. <laughs> it's all right. I see. I actually think that's really important to have someone who's done a first pass and then to have someone else come in with kind of like equal authority and knowledge and do another pass on it and double check that and fact check that I, I I think that gets you a better product in the long term. And that's something I really like about Konzenshi where we all double check or reread someone else's thing, even if it's just proofreading. I mean, I, I caught, uh, I was missing an N at the end of Funimation on, um, that uh, the 1994 Curse of the Blood Rubies featured the other day. I'm like, God damn it, how many of us have read this feature? How many times? But even just something simple like that. So you can imagine that on a, a project of this scale, how important it is to to have multiple sets of eyes on it. Yeah, and I kind of did that with uh, Sumitomo because uh, T. Hallam started it. Yeah, yeah. And he did about 40 episodes, I think, 45 or 50, maybe. I don't remember exactly. Anyway, um, so I was able to, go back through and catch the errors that he had made. But then I went and did the rest of it myself. And of course I made my own errors and I have to go <laughs> back and catch those myself, Sure, you know, cause I don't have anybody else to check up on them for me. So yeah, that was a process. And I imagine it will still be a process whenever I get back to finishing Sumitomo. All right. Well then let's, uh, I love all these updates. This is good stuff. 
Uh, I will ask the question I ask everyone every time. What's something else that someone else is working on um, that you found interesting um, that you didn't know before? Um, what, what's cool? What's going on? You know, I don't. I haven't really been paying attention lately. Not spying? Been, <laughs> well, I've been distracted by Reddit stuff. Sure, sure. And I got it. I, I took like a month off and... I, I think when I take time off, then everybody else quits too. <laughs> um, except for, except for Joe, but I'm not really going through his stuff. I actually went through his page for Mystical Adventure. Yeah. Because I wanted to add, uh, at least as far as I've gotten, which is episode eight, all of the Kikuchi tracks that are arrangements or references to Mystical Adventure. Mm-hmm. So he had just started that and he made a section for the lyrics and he's going to do another one for the animation and the references and that. So I added uh, a bit to his lyric section and then added my little table with the Kikuchi references. Nice. So the mystical adventure page. That's a good one. Trez, thank you very much uh, for all this stuff. Um, you want to give one more plug for the, uh, the R Dragon Ball? It's a separate subreddit that oh, some of you folks right, have set yeah. up. Well, that was what I was distracted by for a month. We just opened a new subreddit for discussions only. And the reason why we did that is because people have been complaining for years. People in quotes, people, some unnamed people. (laughs) Yeah. On RDBZ about all the pictures. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> you should <no>. be. <laughs> no, because you have said before, and maybe you were being sarcastic, but I took you totally seriously. You were like, I love it when somebody posts a picture of something they bought that's Dragon Ball. That just makes me so happy. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe you were being sarcastic. So, well, I mean, it depends on the phase of the moon that day, I feel. Like. I guess. <laughs> So anyway, people have been complaining about all the image posts on RDBZ for years uh, because they get upvoted more than anything else. We have 300,000 subscribers on RDBZ and they just upvote pictures that they like that they think are pretty or whatever, you know, and it kind of drowns out any possibility of discussion about lore and nerdy stuff that we like. So we acquired our Dragon Ball a couple of years ago and we just been kind of sitting on it. It's been a redirect to RDBZ all that time. And we didn't really know if there was any point in opening it as a separate subreddit. But finally we just decided that was the best solution to the problem of people who wanted a discussion subreddit. So that's what it is. All right. I got to say, I am not one for hanging out in communities other than my own, but I have always been extremely impressed by the the stuff that y'all do on the subreddit. I mean, it's always clean. I don't know what I don't know, which is who knows. I mean, you all know what it is that doesn't get there, what is removed, but it feels very clean and organized and not draconian in any kind of sense either. It, it just feels natural and and well maintained and i i just appreciate that um so i occasionally hang out and post there too so yes you do be on the lookout i guess all right very cool trez thank you much for uh, all that stuff and the extra plugs and i guess let's all get back to work or i, I don't know let's take a nap and then we'll go back to work yeah i think i need a nap all right <laughs> thank you much <laughs> see you later I am happy to welcome back to the show one of our uh, highly esteemed wiki editors. Jay, you may see him around as PSP. Welcome back, man. Thank you. I'm glad to be back <laughs> the second time. 
So you have been plugging away at video game stuff uh, kind of nonstop. <laughs> I love everything you're working on. Uh, you you kind of like move between projects. You're working on console stuff. Uh, you're working on some of the long lost mobile gaming that I, I definitely want to talk about in the future. But let's take it back to console stuff because your documentation of and discoveries in and tinkering with the original Dragon Ball Z Budokai, the PS2 and GameCube release of that game, has really, really been fascinating to me because you've uh, you've made things work <laughs> that shouldn't work and otherwise were never expected to be in the game. I know last time you were on the show, we talked about some of the hidden characters in the background, and that's really neat and that's interesting, but this is kind of like gameplay and development related. Uh, give me the background on the two characters that you made playable that are not playable. <laughs> right. So in the game, so the Cybermen and Cell Jr. are, you know, characters that you fight in the game. So they have uh, movesets uh, when you fight them in the game, but you're not actually able to choose them, you know, when you're the character select. And that made me kind of confused because, you know, why would they put this much effort into characters that have full movesets, animations, uh, you know, and so forth? I, I just kind of assumed that they would have been playable uh, at some point, uh, just for pure development purposes. Uh, and so I kind of went down into researching, I guess, you know, what happened to these characters? Why were they removed? Uh, and as I was going through the game's uh, files, the, the textures uh, and such that are in there, uh, I found text that basically said that, you know, at one point they had skill capsules that you would be able to enable in the games like skill capsule store uh and so from that point i was like okay uh it seems pretty possible that i can get these characters running uh and so i spent a weekend uh getting these characters basically able for the player to you know move around punch and fight and uh use with their actual controller uh, the first time around uh, i was able to enable them but i realized that they had no skills uh equipped and when I talked to some of the other, uh, you know, hackers in the Budokai scene, which, uh, you know, I was surprised there's, there's quite a few. Uh, it was something that uh, they had, you know, it was a known thing that people ran into. Uh, and so I went deeper into looking at the game's runtime memory. So what's going on as the game is running uh, and tried to find a way to, you know, equip the skills uh, programmatically. Uh, and so after some time, I was able to equip the skills to these characters and, uh, you know, now they're fully playable. So they can use, uh, you know, all their special moves. They can grab now. They can use their ultimate attacks. Uh, and, you know, that was really that was a really thrilling experience, I guess, uh, to take something that was pretty much taken out of the game and restore it. So looking at those characters, I, I think back to, God, what it was it Mortal Kombat 9, maybe? Uh, I, I feel like the, the recent NetherRealm Mortal Kombat games, they have a lot of characters that appear in story mode that uh, either are in the background, you, you may even fight against them once. Was it Mortal Kombat 9? No, it couldn't have been 9. 
because Baraka's in that, or Mortal Kombat 10, where maybe you fight against Baraka, um, but he's not actually a playable character. And there's a lot of stuff like, well, you know, he wasn't truly balanced to be in the roster along the other characters. And I think of something like uh, Sabai Mansell Jr. in this first game here, where like, yeah, you just fight against him in story mode. Maybe they weren't really developed to be competitive alongside all the other characters. But at the same time, it's not like Budokai is the most balanced game in the universe. Like it was. <laughs> right. Their first real foray back into this world after many years off from it. Uh, and it was a new team. It was Dims working on it compared to um, like Tose and other uh, Bandai teams in the past. So as you just like tinkering around with it, seeing that it seemed like they probably were intended to be playable. And indeed, they were later on in subsequent entries. Yeah. And this wasn't just uh, Budokai, Budokai 1 that did this. Yeah, Rukai yeah. 2 also uh, took the Cell Juniors and the Sidemen out, even though you fight against them. Uh, mm-hmm. And they can they can be restored in similar ways, even though I haven't uh, gotten to doing that. Just tinkering with them, why do you think it was? Was it just that balance thing? Was it just, oh, they're whatever, let's just not include them? Was there no space on the character select screen? <laughs> like, what do you think it was? Honestly, I, I thought it might just be the character select screen just to, to wrap it around. And interestingly, they have... Uh, so the portraits in in the fighter select uh they have a unique art style there's a portrait for the cell junior uh that's used in uh the legend of mr satan okay yeah yeah you know i kind of questioned that and uh even in the tournament because they have uh voice clips for the cyberman and the cell junior so i i kind of wonder at what point did they decide they don't want them? They didn't want them in the game. Yeah, I, I really think back to the PS2 development era. I mean, it was pre-updates. I mean, you couldn't put out a game and then give it an update or, or wrap something up. I hate to bring it back to Mortal Kombat again, but I think of uh, Mortal Kombat Nine. I think when it shipped, uh, Scarlet was like mostly finished on disc, not entirely complete. Uh, there are obviously plans for DLC, and we know looking at. I mean, I don't want to say like I pioneered this kind of thing, but I really dug into the audio (laughs) files on the PS2 games years and years ago when they were first coming out. And that's when, I mean, I first heard about the alternate Dragon World scenarios that were never finished and included in Budokai 3. Uh, Then we went back and looked at some of the prior games. Uh, I mean, there was just so much stuff and you really do have to think about, all right, this game was done and then the next one was supposed to be done for the next year. So at what point did they conceive this and then just had to cut their losses? and say, nope, all right, dummy it out. We're not going to include it. And for something like these two characters, it seemed like they were real close to being able to just just enable it almost. I mean, if that, the fact that you were able to do it on a, a commercial compiled product, of course, you're using some some tools. Maybe we can talk about that. It says to me like they were basically ready. Yeah, I think the only the only thing that, uh, you know, I run to issue with when using uh, the Simon Cell Jr. is uh, alternate skins and mm. uh you know enabling them in the tournament yeah they're they're really close tell me about some of the tools you're using obviously this is being done you're talking about looking at the ram the memory uh there's emulation tools that you're using beyond a raw emulator itself like what are you using what are you looking at what are you doing to manipulate uh the code and the memory right so actually i'm just going straight through uh the emulator uh so pc sx2 uh mm-hmm. They do have uh, functionality for for codes uh, between like action replay uh, and code sure, breaker, sure. Uh, and I use that initially for just getting the cell junior and Cybermen uh, to like unlock them. And through this method, they didn't have any skills, and so 
in order to get the skills, I had to like look through the memory uh, and create my own. I can't remember if it's if I made my own action replay code or code breaker code. Got it. So it's nothing uh, too crazy. Now, in terms of getting like ripping the textures, I know there's tools out there that other you know hackers or uh, modders use for Budokai. Uh, I w- was just using uh, OpenGL Intercept to grab it. Yeah. Looking at the game now in its final state, uh, and, and then seeing what people have done with these games over the years, particularly the third one, where I feel like people really got stuff working in there. What's <laughs> almost like what's possible <laughs> with the game? Would you be able to swap in entirely different characters, even into the, the first game there? Oh, definitely. You could, you can, uh, switch around textures, uh, models. I think the only thing you're pretty much prevented from doing is, you know, changing cutscenes. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I you know, on my Twitter I had posted me changing up the the title screen. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah I, I joked about uh, you know, doing the same for Dragon Ball Evolution on the PSP, uh basically just transforming that back into Shin Budokai. So <laughs> Yeah, I have I have a real a lot of fun you know, working with these games. Is there anything else in the first game? Uh, again, we talked about some of the hidden background characters. Uh, these two, um, I feel like we're, we're pretty close on that wiki page. Of course, we've been saying that for months, but then you discover something new, someone else discovers something new, we want to translate something. Uh, it's a never-ending process. Is there anything else from Budokai 1 that you just found fascinating or or didn't know as you were tinkering with it? Well, uh, well first, there's that unused uh, fighter select screen, uh, mm-hmm. which seems to be you from like early in developments uh i think you pointed out that instead of like the capsule system there was like a it said deck uh at the bottom so yeah it seemed like at first uh they're going for a deck system and then replace it with capsules just to you know keep with the dragon ball theme and that's funny because apparently they got that far in toying with that idea that they made an entire graphic for it obviously right. you know nothing beyond that that you can see but uh it was left over oh speaking of leftover there's uh is it title card things yeah <laughs> so they had uh the next episode previews uh i think from uh the actual anime uh it was just from one episode but uh, yeah yeah they used it as reference they had a little annotated text at the top uh saying <laughs> use this for uh the namek arc and use this for uh, the artificial human arc. Uh, and so I thought that was interesting. There was also like the uh, dragon, uh, I guess, image. It, it basically looked like they storyboarded out the next episode preview using, you know, stuff from the actual anime, which really just shows how much effort, you know, they made towards recreating the actual you know, anime experience. Yeah, I mean, they were <laughs> literally saving JPEGs, so to speak, of certain things they wanted to reference. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were really trying to stay true to the tone, the spirit. You hear that in Yamamoto's score. You, you see that in the graphics that were developed there. Uh, it's a, a true labor of love that they did on that game, even though it was uh, development hell, as we've read in some of the interviews and the way they got to what they got to eventually. <laughs> I guess it was good that they got there, but it, man, they weren't they weren't ready for that next generation of consoles. And it sounds like they have that issue every time there's a new generation of consoles. They're just not prepared for it. So I ask this question of every other wiki editor when they come on. Uh, and hopefully by now everyone's starting to get prepared for it. But what <laughs> is something that someone else is working on that you've seen that you found that was either interesting, cool, you didn't know before, or you're just in awe of the, that, they, that they did that? Uh, definitely the, the, uh, the Yardrat, the Yardratian <laughs> names. <laughs> uh, I, w- I was talking to Ken and uh, he had found 
basically from Dragon Ball Z sagas. Uh, right, right. Yeah, the the name for Soba's henchman, uh, which is never mentioned in the games, but it's, it's found in the game's files. Uh, Yaki, so uh, Yaki Soba, I guess. So I, I found <laughs> that interesting, and I I helped pull out uh, you know portrait. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Of Yaki for him uh, for the page. And so, yeah, I'm really interested in that. I know uh, is work being done in Dragon Ball Online and getting, uh, you know, information on the Yard Rats. So that's that's really interesting stuff. Also, just Ken's uh, technique guide in general that he's yeah. working on. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> I always felt like Soba was Baby's first name pun. And then the fact that it's actually Yakisoba <laughs> kind of drives that home even more. Like, they just chose the first food item they could think of to try and make a Japanese name pun. It's a little embarrassing, but no, it is what it is. <laughs> but again, that, I think that's a, a great example of some some teamwork going on where, you know, I had a base page of Soba and Ken's working on the Yardratty and it's like why the hell does this page exist oh okay <laughs> and then works on it some more and then you know we we dig around and find that oh okay there's something in the files and you're able to help pull out textures and portraits and and text and all that jazz um that's that just makes me smile every time i see something like that happen yeah it's a really fun environment you know just look into the drag mall cool cool well thank you for everything that uh you have done and continue to do uh we'll have you back on again uh like i said we'll talk about some maybe mobile game stuff in the future uh twitter wh- where where do you want to send people uh basically go to my my twitter uh it's golden psp the handle is psp iq3 uh there i post pretty much what i'm currently looking at in terms of games uh or just anything So, yeah, give me a look. Good deal. All right. We will chat with you again soon. Thank you much. All right. See you soon. Been a little bit, but joining me for a wiki check-in, Joe, JRP, you may see him around. Hello. Welcome back, man. Oh, hello. I'm I'm glad to be back. Um, So this is like number three on my little uh, checkbox. So when I get 10, do I get like a coffee or something? Yes, you get a free podcast, actually. Oh, wow. Um, Okay, well, I'll keep working on that. How are things going, man? It's been, I I asked that and the world's on fucking fire. But I mean, otherwise, how you doing? Oh, you know, it's it's all the same. Had to take a uh, kind of a prolonged break for a while as the uh, as things got a little bit crazy. But now that things are progressively differently crazy, I don't think anyone is claiming we're back to normal in any stretch of the imagination, you know, found that we can come back to to it. And, you know, it's, uh, it's down to a point where, you know, working on something like this, and, you know, just enjoying something light, right, is is actually a, a great feeling, right. And, you know, for a while, it was hard. It's like, well, why am I watching an anime when, when the world is going mm-hmm. crazy? But now it's, you know, now it's okay. Now we now we can sit back and say, oh, that's why I'm doing it, because it is uh, to keep me sane and hopefully to keep others sane as we uh, all iterate over uh, over whatever's going on and just try to come out better on the other side. I was going to say, I mean, this is the kind of thing, I know the way you work, it's similar to the way I work, where this is, it's like, it's a distraction, but it's not. It's also this personal sanity check. I don't really know how to describe it. Well, you know, there's just something vaguely cathartic about digging in yeah. deep to something and really learning it, understanding it, kind of feeling it, seeing the seams, seeing where it's good, seeing where it's bad. 
Uh, and you know that really that really gets to me in all of my projects, and and it's what I've been trying to bring to this project as well. And you know, being able to do that, you know, even when everything else is going on around us, uh, feels good to me. And that's that has helped me stay centered uh, as we get through uh, the last couple of months. But you know, it was rough for a while, and uh, you know, I know everyone out there is kind of experiencing you know, the last couple of months differently. And uh, uh, I'm glad to be back and, you know, just doing stuff on the wiki for a while. That is, uh, that feels good. Let's talk about a little bit of it. You kind of, you're like me, you jump all over the place. You have some of your own pet projects and then uh, you're you're doing episodes, but also, I guess, tournaments, kind of like things as a collective parts of some of the episodes that you're going through and doing you know, you do a synopsis for something, then you'll add, uh, I mean, just getting a little specific here, you were doing the afterlife tournament, you were doing uh, episode summaries for those, and then the afterlife tournament, the Anuyoichi Budokai uh, as a whole. So uh, let's do a little check in on that. Uh, first off, <laughs> what are your thoughts on the Anuyoichi Budokai? Was it enjoyable? I mean, it's it's one of two self-contained filler arcs in Dragon Ball Z. Uh, obviously, there's filler throughout the entire series, but we, we picked these two out as like these two distinct little pieces. Uh, how did it feel? Did you enjoy it? Well, so first off, uh, do not expect me to pronounce that. I'm sorry. Even the <laughs> Konzenshu web website still says Afterlife Tournament. I know that yep. we're moving towards... I know that we're moving towards the uh, the Japanese for the tournament names, and I, I appreciate that, but uh, I speak with a dubby accent, and regretfully... <laughs> I, uh, I don't think I would get the syllables and I would just uh, offend everybody. And, and I don't want to do that. Yeah, I mean, the way that I, I, I write, uh, as you indicated, is I'm kind of moving sequentially through things, but not only sequentially, but kind of diving in as as, as I go. So uh, I'm here at the end of the Cell Games arc, right before episode 200, and I hit uh, the Afterlife Tournament. And so this is the first time I've watched uh, that since the Toonami days, to be honest with you. It's it's really old stuff. Probably the first time I've seen it in Japanese. Uh, so I, I got to be careful. It's uh, it's Paikuhan, not uh, Paikun, right. because uh, <laughs> I just don't want the flames that I would receive if I if I say the wrong thing there. Um, you know what? The, the thing I love about the Afterlife Tournament is that it's so low stakes. And you can say, but, yeah. but Joe, how do you have drama when there's low stakes? And and I think there's plenty of drama there. I think it's 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 a fun little distraction from the really really heavy stuff that came before with with the Cell Games arc. I mean, yes, Toriyama's gonna be kind of fuzzy for a while, even in in, in the manga as we get into Great Saiyaman and other things. But you know, they interjected this here, and it was kind of like a a little breath of fresh air for a very stressful time in the series. So I, I kind of like it. It's it is what it is. Uh, it's not high art, but you know we're we're sitting here talking about a shonen anime together, and uh, <laughs> you know none of it is particularly high art, but uh, but it is enjoyable for what it is, uh, which is a, a kind of a deeply flawed but fun. Uh, but fun little tournament. Apparently, if you want to learn more about, uh, you know, story thoughts and opinions on uh, the Afterlife Tournament, I'm um, looking back in the archives here. Podcast episode 233, September 2010, is, uh, I guess, in the middle of doing the manga review of Awesomeness. We we took a break at that point to review the Afterlife Tournament. Uh, who was it? It was myself, Mary, and Jeff actually did that. So uh, if you want to dive back um, almost 10 years ago, <laughs> well, uh, there you go. Sometimes I forget that I've been doing this a really long time. Do you think you really are the same person you were 10 years ago? Do you think no, you know, maybe no, your opinions might have changed? <laughs> <laughs> they almost certainly have. Uh, I, I, I like to... 
Mm. All right. So one of the earlier podcast episodes we did was actually about gender roles in Dragon Ball. Mm. And I'm really proud of the fact that we kind of led early on with doing something like that. I'm also really, really petrified to go back and listen to what we might have said so many eons ago on the podcast. But all right. <laughs> anyway, ignoring that. Uh, so go back and listen to that episode for for thoughts on the, the story as a whole there. Uh, Joe, what do you want to take me through in terms of your documentation? I'm looking at the page for the Afterlife Tournament that you've been working on. There are cool little notes on character names. And is that character that character? Who knows? Because they changed colors. Um, what do you want to take me through here? Well, I mean, there, there's so much. So the first thing to say is that this arc is kind of fundamentally flawed. I mean, we, we can say that it wasn't a, you know, it, it isn't something that was intended perhaps to be taken seriously, perhaps not uh, digested and chopped up into little bits into a wiki. So as you really start yeah. digging in, you, you kind of realize, wait, this doesn't track. And they said this, but then the rules are different. And, you know, it all seems uh, a little bit scattershot once you start kind of kind of digging through. I think you know, the best place to start with that, right, is is really the beginning. And so just just for context, right? So this this tournament happened over four episodes. Yeah, 196 through 199, 96, 97, 98. That's four, right? So it happened over <laughs> it happened over four episodes. But the uh, I don't know, the the continuity people, I don't know who the continuity people are. Like they they weren't really working that day, right? Because you end up having cases where, you know, for example, in episode uh, 196, they they sort of run through the first round. And several of the battles, several of the, the characters that were in that first round, right, are, you know, are, are shown to have won. But they didn't advance to the second round. What happened to them? They they just don't appear again. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, yeah. it's it's like what happened? What uh, did something happen off screen where you know uh, Daikayo is you know he seems pretty uh, random with his reading of the rule book later. Maybe he looked at them and said, "Oh, you're you're out. You accidentally uh, stepped on an earthworm. You uh, you've lost." But uh, but of course they don't say that, right? And the reality is that they they probably weren't intending. Uh, for us to look that deeply, perhaps they hadn't come up with the characters of Tolby and Tabaka and Frog and Raiko and and those characters that you know would uh, would subsequently appear and fight in uh, in the next round. Um, the other weird thing about the beginning of this tournament is that they they put up a, a kind of a presentation of here's all the fighters, right? And you're expecting this massive tournament. The uh, the diagram that they put up there has 136 contestants. I, I don't know. Uh, but you see that uh, several of the teams are talking to large audiences, right? The rah-rah speech a coach gives just before a big match. And there's, you know, 15, 20 contestants all fighting there, uh, all standing there, you know, being talked up and being told, you know, fight for your side of the galaxy or whatever it is that they do. And then suddenly they move to the announcer and it's like, yep, there's 16 contestants and none of those that appeared there in the background are actually in it. Why did you just, why did you bother? Right. So, you know, was there a preliminary round that they just didn't talk about? Was it written out? Was it edited out? I mean, we can't, we can't speculate because all we have is the text in front of us, but, uh, it's it's a little seam that sort of shows through that maybe they had intended to do something and then did something else or uh, or who knows we can only speculate uh, but part of our job is really to document this stuff and to say like this is how it seems to have played out and this is how it happened in each of those episodes right it's it's not it's not for us to draw on the lines that they uh, that they missed it is for us to document where 
where those lines are and and what uh, and what happens. So uh, I find that kind of fun and fascinating. Uh, the thing is, a lot of those characters, even some of the ones that won in uh, those matches that were somehow magically excised from existence, right? They appear as background characters in various audience reactions and things that will happen over the subsequent mm-hmm. episodes. So it's not like they've completely forgot about them. You know, maybe there's some junior animator over there that's like, oh, man, my character got axed. I'm just going to draw them in the background as many times as I can to, uh, you know, maybe the, maybe they'll be the next to pull. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> no, but you're totally right. Like someone had to design all of these characters. And even if they show up in a, a color swap you know, an episode later, it's still that design. There's some work that went into it. It may also be the case that uh, I'd have to go back and look at who the studios were in the individual episodes. But maybe the different studios just literally got here's the character sheets. Do whatever you want with them. <laughs> No one knew what they were going to animate, you know, on a scene to scene basis. Yeah, I I think that's possible. And I think you bring up one of, uh, I guess, we'll say one of the things that I bring to the wiki or one of the things that I don't bring to the wiki, right? When we talk about what, you know, Therese brings around music or what Mm -hmm. Ken does around the dating stuff or what everyone that speaks Japanese, it isn't me does, right? They're all really bringing something like and so uh, somebody probably could understand a lot more about the development process than I do, and then really fill in some of those details. And that's why this is a wiki. That's why this is a collaboration, right? It's, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. bringing what I can bring to the table, and you're bringing what you can bring to the table. And together, I think we're making something great. But, you know, individually, right, nobody can know everything. And, you know, that's why we're a team. We, there's, uh, (laughs) there is no I in team, but there is an I in wiki, which is very confusing. There's a couple. (laughs) The, just, just going to that documentation side of things, what's really unfortunate about this batch of episodes is there's really nothing out there. I mean, there's the design for Paiku Han where Toriyama's like, draw him sort of like a Namekian. I forget what the exact quote is, but that's kind of basically all there is for him. (laughs) And there's really nothing beyond what we can do in things like the Daisenshu, where it's just kind of a summary of what's going on. There's not extensive character design sheets. There's no memos about what was going on behind the scenes. Uh, So for an arc like this, we really are left to our own devices with just doing a synopsis and looking at things that we, we can analyze, like the animation studios, and try to piece together those puzzle pieces, so to speak. Um, but without, just like you were saying, it's not our job to then make any assumptions on how that all got put together. We can just say, well, here's all the pieces we got. Now, this is something that, you know, we talk about on the Wiki channel a lot. And it's, I think, the thing that I think we try to do that differentiates ourselves from certain other Dragon Ball projects that are out there in the world, which is, you know, we're not making up Fanon, right? Very, very rarely. And if we do, you know, you are you are very... You are there to shoot us, right? So, um, <laughs> you know, we're we're trying to explain what's there. Sometimes we have to draw some lines that that may or may not have been there, or may not be as clear as as they otherwise would be. But at the end of the day, we are not trying to build fanon. I am not trying to look at you know the afterlife tournament in Boo's Fury or something to figure out retrospectively mm-hmm. what uh, what they might have meant. Right? Uh, that's that's not really where we are in this wiki project, and I think it's going to be what differentiates the product that we deliver versus some of the other projects that are out there. At least I, I hope it does. And yeah. uh, cause I'm very proud of the work that we're doing and 
it's uh, it's just not necessarily what people might expect if they are used to other sort of Dragon Ball products out there on the web that don't say Kanzen Shu in the name. All right. So take me through more more details, more notes that you've had beyond some of the contestants, uh, the rules maybe seemingly changing um, from story beat to story beat. Uh, what else was fun and interesting here? Well, um, I am going to go back one second just because there's one character sure. beat that I, I really just want to get out there because he's my he's my personal pool at the moment. And okay. um, so there is this character, uh, which is uh, this is the, the green haired fighter, yellow shirt. Uh, we've we have talked about him before. He doesn't have a name. His name might be Kidomo because we can see in one of the uh, tournament uh, leaderboards. Right. We can see that there's a name there. We can't see the name of his opponent. And hmm. we don't know whether that's his name or the name of his opponent. His, uh, in English, his opponent is called Gorilla, but that is not a, that's a Funimationism, not a, uh, not in the original Japanese. So his opponent has a name in the English dub, but not in the, not in the original. I don't know whether that's his name or not, but he's kind of the coolest character in my completely fanish way, because not only does he have this mysterious victory over this other character whose name may or probably isn't Gorilla, um, not only does he have that victory and then it's taken away from him, uh, replaced with Arqua of all people, right? We don't know how that happened. It doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. he's then shown to hang out with the North Coyote team and also train with the East Coyote team. Now you could say, <laughs> but Joe, I think that they just couldn't keep track of which Coyote he was supposed to be uh, working for. That's probably true. That's probably the truth of it. But for me, I just can't help but imagine this random background character that doesn't have a name, just you know, socially fraternizes with everyone. He is just a great fighter that wants to hang out with the North Coyote team, hang out with the East Coyote team. Who knows? Maybe he's not even on the East Coyote team. Maybe he just wants to train with them because he's that kind of swell guy. And alas, we shall never know the name of this character. He is he is long since forgotten. But uh, but I just find it cool. And I you know went through and tracked every time he appeared in the background and tried to find a through line. And guess what? There's no through line. There's no hints. <laughs> it's just. He just shows up, and uh, and I find it fun. I like the idea that all the Kai are like, is he with us? Did, did we bring him? I, <laughs> I think we brought him. I Yeah, no, he's he's yours? Wait, no. <laughs> he just kind of keeps wandering around. Maybe he doesn't even know where he's from. <laughs> yeah. Pos- That's awesome. Possibly true. Possibly true. I mean, the thing about the, the rest of the, uh, of the tournament, right, is that once you get into the second round, all of these battles are so fast you barely get a moment to understand like what their techniques are a lot of them are one note right you know the yeah. uh, the 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 toby versus tabaka fight where you have tabaka running around the ring right and you know just becomes too exhausted before the fight and immediately gives up i mean that's that's a cute little moment but uh it's not it's not what you tune in to, to dragon ball for uh, most likely. But um, although I did like, I think they were pretty consistent by saying that the East Kayo team, uh, they're the fast ones. And mm. um, maybe that's the only, uh, maybe the, the South Kayo team is they're the, they're the peace loving ones, right? So that's, uh, that's Caterpie. And, you know, oh, I'm going to tickle you until you give up, right? That's a, that's a, a pretty good thing, I guess. But uh, who knows, right? I'd, who knows how much thought was actually put in put into some of these things. The thing that I do like about as we get through this tournament is that there is a little bit more strategy. Um, and that happens a little bit in filler. We didn't talk about it. We don't need to talk about it. But, you know, plan to eradicate the science, which was right about this time. You know, we actually have some one strategic battle. We won't say more than one, right? Most of it's crap. But... <laughs> 
but a lot of these battles are fought with strategy and too much too often i think you know we have battles in the series that you know come down to you know keep him busy while I do a, a Genki Dama or something. And right, right. here we have a great case in the afterlife tournament as we get all the way to the end. And it's, it's go, it's Goku versus uh, Paikoan, of course. And Goku's having his, his butt handed to him by techniques over and over again. But Paikoan makes a critical error, which is that he uses the same technique three times, right? Had he have just pulled out a different technique, Goku would, would clearly have lost, but you know, Goku recognizes the, the attack and is able to on the third attempt, right, see the weakness and and exploit it, and then then the match is over. And like that is just one of those great moments in the series where you come back to this idea that Goku really is a, a genius fighter, right? He's not just hitting you the hardest; he's hitting you the smartest, at least at least in my particular w- worldview. And that's uh, that's kind of shown here, right? It isn't that doesn't happen enough in the series, right? I think I think it's. Uh, it's great whenever it does appear and, and kind of showing showing them doing something that isn't just hitting you harder is is always is always entertaining to me. Uh, the other thing I really like that kind of just sells Goku on this arc, because of course there is no there's no stakes here, right? It's not like, oh, you lose this and uh, you know, North Galaxy is gonna be wiped out, right? Like you don't need artificial stakes to make a tournament interesting, right? I'm not casting shade probably am. But <laughs> you don't need artificial stakes to make it interesting. A tournament by its nature can be interesting. And Toriyama showed that multiple times over the course of the series. Yeah. But yeah. afterwards, you know, you had a, a se- sequence here with Arqua, right? Who was just being chewed out by uh, East Kayo after his loss. And Goku just comes over and, you know, just tells him what a great job he did. And like immediately you have this beautiful big smile up on his opponent's face because he's recognized in that way, in a way that his coach is not recognizing him. So really just a couple beautiful Goku moments in this arc that, you know, maybe throughout the rest of it, but it's Goku being Goku in a really nice way. And I liked it. So just while you were talking, I was looking at um, some of the credits for these episodes because some of the things you're describing, just they feel really genuine to Toriyama and and to Goku in particular, just that moment again, where he comes up and congratulates and praises his opponent. I'm like, all right, who wrote this? And it was Aya Matsui. Matsui wrote an an enormous amount of material, um, in particular going into um, GT. Um, Matsui just really understands these characters. Uh, Matsui also worked on the, we call them the original illustrated stories, uh, the third one there, uh, that is the actual, like, not long form, but uh, it's not just illustrations. It's, it's mostly text. Uh, the Trunk story uh, worked on that. I, I feel like Matsui really understands the characters. Um, and now it's, again, this is one of those, all right, you can work on the synopsis side of things and, and really uh, have that eye for detail in the episodes. And we have, I don't want to say AJ's literally editing the wiki, but he definitely answers all of our questions anytime we want something. So I'm calling AJ a wiki editor right now. Um, <laughs> really? really giving us um, some of the background and, and the documentation in addition to all the credits work that obviously Heath has done uh, over the years. So we can really kind of, again, um, take these puzzle pieces and really put together, all right, here's here's how this came together. And as you're describing it and as I'm looking at the credits, I'm kind of realizing, oh, yeah, like this was this was a good group of folks <laughs> that put together these episodes, even if they didn't necessarily, you know, down in the animation studio. <laughs> <laughs> have the best direction. Well, you know, I think it's I think it's telling that 
after this arc was over and after they got through to the end of 199 and you know they flip over to 200 right it's it's a new series well it's the same series right. but it's it's a new arc right um 200 when you see gohan flying off towards satan city for the first time the last episode uh what do they what what do they call it the uh the the episode recap right at the beginning of episode 200 completely ignores the entire afterlife tournament like not even toei mm-hmm. thought that it was important enough to bring up in the following episode so you know may, maybe there maybe there is something to the idea that this isn't so uh so important even to them but i really did enjoy going through it i think it's a great like little moment in the series and and maybe not the most consequential, but it shows, you know, a couple of good characters, a couple of good fights, uh, a Piccolo clone that, you know, okay, well, what can we say about that? But uh, it it is a fun little time. And uh, I'm sorry that it doesn't seem to get all that much love in, in the guidebooks or, or perhaps, uh, or perhaps anywhere else. So, Joe, that, that was kind of a, a little tour through the Afterlife Tournament. Obviously, there's a lot more to the, the page for the tournament itself on the wiki than the individual episode pages. Uh, how about just anything else that you've been working on, plugging away at? Uh, I know we've mentioned your, your references page. Uh, everyone loves that one. Uh, anything else you have a good time doing? Oh, I have a good time doing doing everything, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, it's for me, I just hit it. And right now I'm trapped in character page hell because there are a lot of characters in this darn arc. Mm-hmm. And I am committed to getting at least basic character pages done for all of them before I move on to, uh, to the boo arc. That's, uh, that is my goal, you know? So I, as I add them, as I see them, I add new references as I add new uses of capsules. Cause there's a whole bunch of uh, uses of capsules in the anime that I'm still cataloging and things. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell just for a moment, I'm going to step back again, but I need to tell a Mike story and that's, you. Oh geez. Okay. <laughs> there's a Mike story. I didn't know there was a Mike story. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it, it happens. So, okay. uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I was working uh, before the afterlife tournament, right? I was working on plan to eradicate the science. So we had, we had talked about this and yes, the, yes. you know, it, it's fun. It has its own ickiness, right? It's whatever. Um, talk about it some other day, but you know, while we were digging through, right, really understanding, okay, so this was when this was on the dragon box, it was given out as like a single chapter with two episodes in it how was it originally distributed okay we're looking on the tid- tidbits page on on Konzenshu and okay it's uh, sometime in august of of 93 these vhs's came out we we had no idea trying to build the timeline did the vhs come out before the famicom game did the famicom game come out first i mean that would make the most sense right because this is a a so-called strategy guide for the famicom game although Honestly, I don't know how useful it would be as a strategy guide. Uh, having actually read an, a strategy guide to the game, it doesn't seem <laughs> that connected, honestly. But here we were trying to track down this. Kanzenshu, the website, didn't know the answers to some of these questions. And somehow, in that giant basement of yours, you pull out, oh, by the way, I have a scan of the original advertisement that contained all of the original release dates for the VHSs, right? So you didn't have it, but you had it. And I, I think that's the story of my life. <laughs> I, I just think it's just so Im- impressive, the resources that we can bring to bear that you can dig through some random filing cabinet and find, oh, here's the original advertisement for a VHS uh, that nobody cares about. Uh, and I was pretty impressed. So I wanted to share this Mike story. You know, you can trim this out if you like. But uh, for me, this is fundamental to what we are doing here on the wiki, which is trying to take all of this stuff that is out there 
and mm-hmm. catalog it and do our best with it. And frankly, there's more of it than we will ever get through in any of our lifetimes. But it is, uh, it's, uh, it's great fun when you could be working on a problem like that and have somebody that just says, oh, look, I found the original ad. So that, that made my day. I needed to sort of share it with the world. Uh, and I, I hope that eventually when uh, when those pages come out, you know, that kind of love shows up. We have this nice little timeline page uh, that I'm building for that. It's uh, it's going to be very boring because nobody cares about Plato Renegade the Science, but I care. I care so much. I have a Pladia that won't won't turn on anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll know, I'll know that it was done with love. Yeah. But uh, it's a funny little it's a funny little thing, but uh, it was fun. All right, man. Thank you so much for joining me, uh, giving us a little tour through some of the things you're working on. Uh, I always ask this at the end uh, and I never prep people for it. But what's something that someone else has been working on uh, that you found either um, cute, amusing, fun, informative? Oh, you know, that is such a uh, such a, a difficult question because I, I go through here and I look at the recent changes page like yeah. every day and I'm like constantly rooting through and seeing, okay, what uh, what are my uh, friends and peers doing? So to call out like a, a single thing is, is really, really tough. Uh, but I will say that so much is not just the stuff that appears on the wiki, but it's it's, you know, the answers in the various Discord channels and other places where it's like, oh, I need this translated. And what does this say? Like that is, to me, I mean, that's, that's such a such a difference. As for the as for the pages themselves, I mean, I remain completely in love with uh, the timeline work that, uh, that that Ken does and the music that uh, Therese does. Uh, I am gonna so piss off Ken because I, uh, I, I'm working on this thing where I'm trying to track the Dr. Slump uh, the corollaries from the Dr. Slump dates to the Dragon Ball dates, which are pretty consistent up through kind of the end of, of Z. But then you get uh, Dr. Slump Returns, but only for a little while. Then you get the later Dr. Slump anime, and both of which have crossovers with Dragon Ball. And guess what? Those dates right. don't line up. And one of these days, I'm just going to drop on him this whole <laughs> this whole Dr. Slump date thing. But um, uh, But no, he does some really good work. Like there's just so much detail work. I came to him and I said, Hey, I think you had something wrong. And he looked at me and said, No, actually the uh the subtitles, the Simmons subtitles actually translated that date wrong. My guide is correct. And I'm like, oh curses foiled <laughs> again. So uh it's there's so much fun stuff. And I, I just love that level of detail, especially as you look at those pages and you realize that we care more about that level of detail than some others. Like just seeing the crying that happens as people try to work out the Broly timeline versus is the Dragon Ball minus timeline versus, the, uh, but uh, it's some really great stuff, and we are uh, Ken is doing a, a great job of documenting that. Those are all great answers. All right. I don't know what this podcast episode looks like. I'm, I'm going to try to get some more folks in here. So uh, maybe someone that you just mentioned will be appearing either before or after you. So props to them. <laughs> uh, Joe, thank you again so much. Um, thank you for, I don't know, joining me on the podcast, working on stuff. I mean, you're just a pleasure, man. Well, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be invited. Please invite me again. And uh, I got six more. No. Seven more until I can, you know, chop up that card and get my free whatever it was that I'm going to get. So uh, talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Adios. Keith, I ask everyone this uh, and you're in the I think you're like me. You probably keep up that recent changes page and just refresh it and just watch and just love. That is the best part. 
I just enjoy watching sometimes. I mean, as creepy as that sounds. What is something cool, interesting, different that uh, someone else has done, worked on that you found uh, really cool? Well, most recently it was when Therese hopped on and said, hey, I'm doing all this Shinsuke Kikuchi score documentation. We even went through, okay, yeah, here's some of the files we have. And she, as she was deep diving into some of it, she's like, oh, well, this is actually wrong. This It's actually this track. And so... It's been really neat to see the back and forth mm-hmm. and just how she's been putting that all together. Because I think when I went through and I did the DBZ Movie 7 page, yes, yes, that's when I even started to do my own deep dive into the musical score. And I learned way more than, you know, I thought I already knew a lot about it. Uh-huh. And then I learned, <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> and there was a lot more to, to learn, a lot more to document. And I think a lot of us have kind of jumped on that ship a little bit and i think it'll be really interesting yeah it's a good answer i guess i want to share a couple things that i've been working on Uh, i always have like one little pet project that takes up way more time than it should and i do way more work on than any otherwise reasonable person should and for me it sounds totally normal (laughs) that has been the planet frieza number 79 page you think all right it's there for like a couple panels in the manga it's there in reference a couple times in the tv series what can there possibly be about this well let me tell you dear listener just how much there is about planet freeze at number 79 i'm going through yeah i'm going through the daizenshu and the chozenshu pulling out are there any character profiles then you realize that the the cardas cards had entirely different names for some of the characters so you want to put all those in and you're like okay it, it says they they're playing that game there <laughs> when uh right before vegeta first arrives and that's documented in the daizenshu but then helmet 2 is referenced in a d- different place and it's not actually referenced under Planet Freeze and number 79, but the screenshot they show from it, its first appearance is that. So, you know, you want to throw that on there. And then you start going down like, well, I got to make the page for the medical machine as well, because this is where we first see it there. And then I'm like, well, I should go through video games. So like, when is Planet Freeze and number 79 shown in video games? Like, okay, well, I guess I'm starting on the Famicom and working my way forward <laughs> through, like, what covers the Frieza arc? What What is in there? So, uh, going all the way from the violent god Frieza, Dragon Ball Z2 on the Famicom. All right, all right. What else is there? Does it just go straight to Budokai 1? No, actually, it's Idainaru Songoku Densetsu on the PC engine. It's shown there. I want to make, mm-hmm. make sure I get a screenshot of that. Like, oh, yeah, I think there's a what if in uh, is it Buku Togeki uh, Supersonic Warriors 1. That's good. Oh, right. It's there in Fusions as well. It's like melded in with things. And then pff, the real doozy. I'm looking through YouTube videos trying to find, like, is it referenced anywhere else? And I'm not taking screenshots from the YouTube videos because we're doing all of our own original, you know, capturing and all that kind of stuff. And I realize Planet Freezing number 79 is shown in Harukanaru Goku Densetsu on the Nintendo DS, a game that I bought twice and played for about an hour in each language. I did not get far enough. I have to give incredible props to uh, Wiki Assistant, let's say, Roll, who put four hours into that game just to get to that part, to get me a proper native res screenshot of Planet Freezing number 79, uh, just be a little thing in a table on a wiki page. I am incredibly appreciative of that. So, you know, you scroll through and... It's so good. It's like we got the Daizenshu. We got Dragon Ball SD. Try to help me figure out where that was. All the video games. Like, it's... Who cares? I care. 
I'm sure somebody at some point will care. But the lengths and the above and beyond attitude is just so refreshing. Um, I guess my other shout out would be to Sodhi. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, uh, the animation documentation that I'm assuming it's a he because everyone on the internet is until Therese tells me otherwise, <laughs> that um, it has just been phenomenal. I I know he's been going through referencing a lot of what we have, but he's been going even beyond that and finding a lot of photos of the animators, background histories that, that we haven't even gone into yet on the main website mm-hmm. and um, going over to oh, uh, Sakugo Borough and just deep diving into clips that we can throw in there and have as references of in-between animation, key animation from these animators, um, then going into positions and roles and any biographical information we can find. And it's just, oh, it's been a dream come true. So props to him for doing all that. I, I've enjoyed watching that as well. So just one of the most recent pages. Uh, I mean, it's a name that you will know, Naohiro Shintani. So you go to the Shintani page, and yeah, we're going to have the biography and all that stuff and you know everything that he's done uh, on Dragon Ball. But then the other things that Soti here is going to great lengths to do is saying, all right, what else has this person worked on? Toriko, yes. One Piece, Film Z, uh, Pretty Cure, you know, just a list of the episodes and the other works that someone has worked on. So you can see just w- what their career extends to. Obviously, we're not going to cover you know, their animation in One Piece it, it, any real depth or anything like that. But the, the fact that we can note that, I think that gives a, a greater understanding and appreciation to just who these people actually are you know, beyond Dragon Ball. That's really important. Yeah. And especially nowadays, it's a lot easier to track animators because mm-hmm. they actually credit everyone. Right. <laughs> um, like, you know, back in Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, there are so many uncredited um, animators that would be featured. And the only way you would know is you would recognize their style. Something would tip you off. Oh, yeah, that's that's a Sheeta shot right there. And he wasn't credited at all. Mm-hmm. So uh, nowadays it is nice. You can at least go back to One Piece, Tordico, and say, oh, yeah, there, this person's right there, second key animator for something. And I enjoy it from the perspective also of you can see kind of their career path as they go from Mm -hmm. oh they started as a second key animator over here or an in-between animator and by the time they got to work on dragon ball super now they're an animation supervisor or an assistant animation supervisor something of a more significant role so you can kind of see the progression especially through toei animation Mm -hmm. so it's just it's that background which is kind of nice of hey where did this guy even come from because he's damn good and i want to go see some of his other work yeah Love it. I'm just scrolling through, you know, recent changes and even my own page. I'm like, oh, right. I I totally forgot I worked on some of this stuff. Like the reason I even <laughs> went to Planet Freeza number 79 is because I was working on planets. Uh, I was going through the mm-hmm. Dragon Ball Super manga and, and pulling out planet names in there and uh, figuring out uh, name puns that were kind of obfuscated in, in Viz's release of the manga where they either went with just like a direct romanization or, or missed, um, you know, one of the three in a in a collective of puns really want to get that all noted that was always the rabbit hole i would find myself in yeah when i was doing more wiki work is you'd start on a page and you want to list something you're like oh that page doesn't exist yet well i'll kind of get started on that so it's at least there uh-huh. and next thing you know it's like two weeks later and you're like what was the original page that was working <laughs> two on? weeks later it's i've played every dragon ball game to get a screenshot of planet freezing number 79 <laughs> 
Yep. That that's totally what it was. It was like, why am I doing this? Yeah. It's a perpetual problem that we typically would run into even before the wiki when yeah, we yeah. were doing just regular site work. That's why so many projects would sit in limbo forever. Because I would literally forget that I started that page. There there have been times that I have found a page on the main website. Like, I do not remember making this page. And it wasn't me. I know it was and you. You look back at the history and it was like five years ago I started. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> well, so yeah, that's those are always the nice finds. But back to the wiki, yes. You started on all the planets pages. Well, you like the main mm-hmm. page for it. And that's how you end up doing your deep dive. And then it's like, well, I, I want to find planets from, I was thinking of things like Geo, where they would mention one planet. It was planet Kaino. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to mention that, do the page for that, and you know, do all the puns and everything. Well, then I end up doing the entire page for Gia itself. And then I end up doing the entire page for Kajika itself. Like, well, why not? <laughs> Oh, all right. So that's somebody's got to do it. That's some of the the stuff that I've been doing on the wiki and and we've noticed other people working Mm -hmm. on. Uh, I want to talk about stuff on the website proper. Some of the things that we've posted recently, Uh, just cool little things here and there. um, New content, new translations, those kinds of things. Um, This was just something I decided to do on Twitter because I noticed it was the anniversary of Ultraman and Ultraman is baked into the DNA of Toriyama. Um, So it, it certainly was every example and in fact i went back to the uh crappy manga laboratory uh and i found just it's just ultraman (laughs) himself just on the page like it's not even a reference it's just toriyama draws ultraman so i gotta throw that into the mix in that thread as well i think but it's just a twitter thread going through a few examples tracing it back from uh in dr slump into uh was it dragon boy uh then into dragon ball a few examples there as well whether it's just the pose Mm -hmm. or the schwatch something like that or the the fish head (laughs) just cool little references um so i plop that up on the homepage of the site uh, and then, of course, we are doing Toyotaro's uh, monthly Toyotaro Drew It. Uh, Julian translates that every month when they come out. Um, we typically have that up. I, some Sometimes it feels like within minutes of it going up. Uh, the last one they put up uh, was pretty late in Japan, so it was a couple hours later by the time we got to it. But it's typically day and date that we put them up. The most recent one was Raditz. Um, I think Ken pointed this out, that this is probably one of the best that Toyotaro has drew lately. And there's just something about it. And yeah. Ken thought maybe it was because he had an actual manga panel to reference from Toriyama. Uh, I dare I say that I think Toyotaro's is better than Toriyama's original there. I don't know. Raditz feels kind of squat there in the uh, the original version there from Chapter 201. I, I don't know. Uh, good good well, job, Toyo. It's hard to say because when the... Toriyama made the transition after the time skip, after chapter 194 into 195, you can really start to see, and he talks about it in interviews, his artistic style change to a more, and it seems like what Toyotaro has done is hit more of the later Z type of style, because even Goku Mm -hmm. in those early what you would consider Dragon Ball Z chapters. It, he's very squatty and almost kind of pudgy, like round looking, and he gets much more angular as things go on. So I don't know if that's kind of a trickery kind of playing on your mind. Sure, of, yeah, yeah. Oh, that looks way more like later Dragon Ball Z. And then when you compare it to early Dragon Ball Z, they're 
totally different. It's one of the things like when you think about old video games and you, you, the way you think about them is actually what the remasters look like. And then you go back to the original. It's like, <laughs> yes. whoa, wait a minute. I kind of feel like Toyotaro did a modern Toriyama remaster of Raditz here <laughs> as opposed to the original. But anyway, I mean, he just had a couple of quick comments uh, about Raditz there. But I guess you could say the big Toyotaro thing for the month was um, this is unfortunately one of those things where people plop up the, the image don't give any context for it whatsoever. Um, this was not Toyotaro's regular entry for Toyotaro Drew at this month. Um, and he's he's not making up a story. About, I mean, he gave a little, this is what I envisioned it could be as he drew it. But it's an image of Bardock and Goku. Um, this image is being turned into uh, prizes for a crane game in Japan later mm-hmm. this year in Japan. But uh, alongside it, they gave her a real brief interview. Um, Cypher, Ian, was actually the one who translated this. So uh, many thanks and appreciation to him for that. You can just go read the whole thing. They're on the site. I don't know if there's a whole lot to say about it other than that that certainly is Toyotaro. And just you know, going for those references yep. and, and overthinking <laughs> like, well, I took this Bardock, but I put it in this way for this reason with this item for that reason. Like, yep. Yep, I see where you're going, man. Mm-hmm. I can say it is certainly not my favorite, <laughs> and I will leave it at that. Uh, one little interesting thing related to that that I noticed this month was uh, V-Jump had a two-page spread of th- all, I would say all, except the the Raditz one that had oh, just come yes. out. Um, all of the Toyotaro drew it. Um, all the Im- little thumbnail versions, because they, they spread it across the two pages, but they're all in there. So that was mm-hmm. neat that, you know, they, they, I guess they were looking for a new... Uh, for another two pages of uh, filler in the, in the magazine this month. So they gave Toritaro a, a little bit else there. So that was good to yeah, see there. If you, I, we tweeted that out, I believe. Yep, yep. I took a little photo. Yeah. I Just so. a little overhead photo of the magazine as it came out, you know, doing a budget, budget mic style, but... Uh, mm-hmm. There you go. I mean, it was, we already have all the content. I saved the the master versions and pings, and I crop them. To they're just gonna save up until the very, you know, whenever this is all done, and let's release a fifty page book. You know what? Or however, that's far not too bad. I don't know that their earlier ones that they have. I mean, maybe Toriyama has the master versions of them, but well, and the first ones he did were on paper with mm-hmm. marker. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly. Yeah, you can and then see as, the page I think texture. he got like five to seven in somewhere in there, and he started to go digital. Like, he's like, oh, we're going to actually make this a thing. <laughs> This is the thing now. <laughs> and that was also around the time that the Dragon Ball official site started uh, using slightly higher quality images for things. Thank the Lord. As opposed to the 200 pixel oh. GIF files. Even their JPEGs, though, are so pixelated. They're really bad. It's like 20% yeah. quality. Oh, that's about it. Um, for for content things right now, it's uh, it's kind of slow-ish in the world of Dragon Ball. Uh, I think I saw today that they just announced the next uh, Heroes promo anime episode is going to be coming out. Is it later this week? It hadn't had a date yep. up until this point, uh, so things are, are really on the back burner there. Uh, we have Volume 13 of the Dragon Ball Super Manga hitting in Japan next week. I haven't seen Toyotaro say anything about any bonus materials, like a bonus chapter, an interview or anything. 
Uh, volumes 10 and 12 had the two-page bonus chapters. 10 had the Cranberry chapter, and 12 had the, the Frieza chapter. I say chapter, just two pages. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing that volume 13 is going to just be the four chapters beginning to end, and that's it. Um, I haven't seen anything about extra pages or, or anything there. Uh, and then today, I just saw that uh, Viz has a date out for volume 12 of the, the Super Manga. That's not until next March. So we actually have volume, what is it, 10 coming out in September, volume 11 in December. Mm-hmm. And then that that gives us into March for uh, for volume 12. And again, it's just the collected edition mirroring Japan. Uh, maybe we can talk about this a little bit. I always see people ask, why is Viz so far behind? Like, why are we only getting to volume 10 when Japan has volume 13 coming out? And I, I think I have a, a fairly good stock answer. So let me walk you through this, Heath, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff. All right. Oh, I will. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I, I feel like one of the main reasons is that well, Japan is a geographically smaller country. America is a very large, geographically large country. Uh, the way that things are shipped and packaged and delivered is very, very different in a country like this as opposed to Japan. So you got to get all of your logistics, uh, you know, ducks in a row there. Uh, that That's a factor. Another factor, I don't know if people realize this. It's one of those things that as you're reading, your your mind just kind of, I don't know, kind of like slides past it. Viz redraws all of the sound effects on the page into English mm-hmm. in their English translation. Uh, the the simul publication of the, the the monthly chapters, they don't do that. They do a little they do a little asterisk There's thing a on it. Sound effects. Like thwap yep. or something like that. Um, that gets completely redrawn. This is a thing Viz has always done. They redraw those sound effects uh, for the collected edition, the print and the digital collected edition release. That takes a significant amount of time. I mean think about Toriyama, one of the things that really grabbed Torishima looking at Toriyama stuff was his sound effects specifically in English. Uh, just the the way they popped out of the page. And so think about how much that Toriotaro is trying to evoke that at times. Um, so there's a lot of work that goes into doing that. Uh, I don't know if other uh, countries do something like that, but but Viz does that, and that takes time. Um, they do another pass on the translation. You'll notice that there are some wording and uh, phrasing differences between the Simulpub chapters and when it gets to the final release. Some of that is... Well, they didn't know what they didn't know at the time of like when chapter one came out versus when chapter 60 came out. So they can make some adjustments in there as need be. And another significant factor is, well, they started the print edition much later than Japan did. So obviously they have to catch up in that regard. I feel like you add all those up and that kind of explains why Viz is only at volume 10 when Shueisha is at 13. Also, Shueisha... They've really caught up, too. I mean, we are at the point where every four chapters that are done and in the can, they're pretty much rolling right behind it with that next collected release. Um, This is the most aggressive and and on track I've ever seen them with Super. And it's really weird. I mean, I don't mind it. Yeah. But yeah, it's just not what we are used to, I guess would be the best way to put it. And you also, within the United States or North America in general, just the volume that you have to print is much well, greater. True. Yeah, yeah. So 
that also takes time. I feel like uh, another reason why I was a little slow to get going there was uh, super chapters were also only like 15 pages when they started. So that, you know, we had to build up a lot of months in between before a volume could be ready. Now that chapters are 45 pages, that's only four chapters per volume. So like they are pretty ready on a quarterly basis to pump out a new volume. Which I think they like it that way. And Probably. I like that it is just a fixed page number. And they're mm-hmm. basically just hit this, you know, every month and we're good. Yeah. And then we know they can plan ahead on how many volumes they're going to release in a year. As long as it keeps going, it should just remain consistent. Mm-hmm. And it's one less thing that you, as a publishing company, have to worry about. If you know you can always plan for it and you're always ready, then that's less hassle that you have to do. And it makes promotion pretty easy. Mm-hmm. So I get it. I kind of like it, actually, (laughs) except it sucks for our year end predictions, because now that takes away one of my predictions every year. Um, Astronomical guesses at how many volumes there are going to be. Excuse me. Excuse me, sir. What predictions? Um, I don't know. What what episode (laughs) was that? What happened there? I'm talking about 2018. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let the record show uh, that I'm being a dick to you right now about this. Oh, I know. I know you are. Right. I appreciate it. Not just you. Certain other unnamed consent you member? No. Right. Anyway, uh, Heath, I want to talk to you about website and and wiki stuff. Uh, again, we okay. we've talked uh, last time you were on. Like you, you, I don't want to say you're 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 backseat operating the wiki, but you are. You know, you, any I anytime am. I someone needs am. a tech thing or any kind of fix or did Mike break something entirely? You know, you're certainly always there to do that, but you have turned your attention over to the website proper for a lot of stuff uh, lately in particular. What do you want to mention or talk about right now? Well, I want to mention it all, but you know, you got to keep something in your back pocket. Sure. Sure. Especially I I don't want to set the expectations, but yeah. So for a long time I had been really going into the wiki, mostly, you know, I would say partly into 2019 and then since then, I've, you know, we've redone the translations archive. Uh, I'm currently, uh, lo and behold, working on redoing the press archive. Yes, yes, Which yes. I think you were very excited about. I am. Funny story. I believe I started working on this, like, oh God, six or seven months ago. And you I did. sent you yeah, a link. Yeah. And uh-huh. I was like, hey, check this out. Let me know what you think before I just, like, plow ahead. And you're like, okay, I'll take a look. And that was the last time I think we talked about it, except for this past week. I'm sure I said, so, great, let's go. Or yeah. maybe I didn't. Um, I, don't I don't know. So we're working on that. It It's not going to blow your socks off because it's pretty much going to be exactly like the translations archive. But Yeah, but just being able to filter and all that jazz. Yeah, it's still a lot of back-end stuff that needs to get programmed in. So yep. we're getting that taken care of, which will be really nice. Um, I think it'll be a lot easier for us to keep adding things. Mm-hmm. And by us, I mean you. You know what? Um, I I need a full-time unpaid intern to come live in my basement and recatalog all the magazines. I actually had to take down half of a bookshelf because it had collapsed onto all of the Animericas. So now I have a pile of video game magazines on the floor. I I have lost track. I had a spreadsheet at one point, but then I just kept buying things and I don't know why I have what I have for what reason. I'm I'm sure I, I don't know. Please send help. So then on the other front, now that the animation uh production guide yes. was launched, yep. my next venture of basically redoing the entire website, which has driven me absolutely insane. But that is what I'm currently working on. 
uh, I basically blew up everything we had and am starting from scratch. I will say it's very similar to what we have, but from both the front end and back end standpoint, it is very different. It will feel different. And this is largely so that we can finally have a responsive layout. Because if people don't know, you and I have been doing this since the mid 90s, mm-hmm. or at least I've been doing website programming. Things were very different back then. Uh, things were very static. Things were very fixed width. And that's what you had. We had computers with maximum resolutions of 800 by 600. And so a lot of our content that we have that's from the late 90s, early 2000s is or has been done in a way to accommodate a certain width screen. And there's only been so much we can do with that. And a lot of our functionality has always been very limited. Well, the best way to do that is to go back and just gut everything (laughs) and start all over. And that's kind of what I've been doing. So... And I've been sending you updates every once in a while of, what do you think of this? And you're like, start over. It's crap. (laughs) No, I've never said that. (laughs) Don't believe him. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm kind of doing this in a way as our, I don't know, Consentry 3.0, whatever. Yep. And um, I don't want to say it's like a relaunch, but it's been very challenging with certain aspects that are programmed in a way to be fixed with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> such as like episode credits yeah and yeah. <laughs> and things like that that rely heavily on if if things move too much things will break so uh, finding workarounds with that has been very fun but i'm very excited i just wanted to be done <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i hear you i know um, that's like but when yeah you get into a project and i'm taking a lot of aspects of the current website that that I like, that I know people have mentioned to us that they like, and I'm reincorporating those back into it. So it's not, we're not deviating. We're not going to go from the way it looks now to, you know, like, wow, this is drastically different. I don't know where anything is because I know from a user standpoint, if I move too much all over the place, people just naturally don't like it. I don't like it. So uh, everything will be relatively similar, but not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a, a valid critique of the website just because of how much it's grown over the years and, to, and what's there. Is discoverability mm-hmm. is a problem. And Therese and I yes. talked about this a little bit. Like if you don't know enough about what you're looking for, you have no idea where to even begin. So I think some yeah. of the navigation changes are going to um, address that, give us some options to highlight things. Just I mean, I'll, I'll say that when I first started doing this redesign, I did the banner first, kind of got, you know, the header area done. And then it was the navigation. The top navigation was mm-hmm. the first thing I did. And I sunk months into it of just trial and error, what I wanted to see worked. And then I would use it for a little while to just navigate around. And if I didn't like it, then I would change it. And I think what I have now is probably what we're going to end up with. I might tweak it here and there, but mm-hmm. It's very much more functional. I think it works more to what we do. And the technology, when when I did this in 2012, a lot of this wasn't possible. HTML5, CSS3 weren't a thing. And so there's a lot more power behind what we can do, which is really nice because it sets up a lot of things that I think you and I have always wanted to do with the navigation. Mm-hmm. Because when we first launched the website, you know what we knew was hey, there's a static sidebar on the side with every single page just listed out. And that's how it was through the 90s. That's what every web page was like. Every fan site, 
more or less had the same navigation sidebar. And our conversation was, how can we do that differently? Because I don't want to overwhelm everybody. That's the first thing you see. And it's long. It's daunting. And we, we had to come up with a way of, well, how can we not overwhelm it, but kind of create subsections and have a pop-down menu? And and that's what we came up with. This. What I'm doing now, I think, is even further beyond that of functionality and making it easier to find things, find what you're looking for in as few clicks as possible. I'm just looking at dates and thinking as we were working to launch Consensu, you know, we launched it in April uh, 2012. So we were working for mm-hmm. you know, a year or two before that. Um, that was the the iPhone 4 is what was out. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, the concerns like that it wasn't even really a concern at the time. And people always ask, you're going to make an app. and We're not going to make an app. We're not app developers. We don't have time to add on to that. What would the app even oh, be? I mean, just go to the website. But um, I mean, our, our concerns were, were really about you know, desktop computers at the time. And that oh, we, we do have to account for phones now. We do. Yeah. And I think at most I had accounted for, you know, say a tablet yeah, or yeah. an iPad. Mm-hmm. And those still had fairly higher resolution. So it wasn't that big of a concern. And it things have just changed so much that at this point, it is something that I've put a Band-Aid on it to kind of make the main website functional on a phone. Not near what I should do, but I did the best I could under our circumstances. And we are finally at that point now that we just need to do it. And it it needs to work. It needs to be functional. And um, Julian has been helping me with fonts and readability. And that has been awesome. I will say I picked out all the fonts. (laughs) And he's like, yes, let's do this. So we're having a mixture of sans serif. We're having Serif uh, pulling in different um, Japanese, Korean fonts, things like that, that hopefully we can cover the gamut with everything so everything looks nice. I don't know how many people realize how many fonts we currently import. We're going up a little bit, but I think it makes the functionality that much better. Um, They're all Google fonts anyway, so we don't host anything, which is nice. And then I guess my biggest thing is... I'd love to give a shout out to my buddy Randy, who I've been working with, and I think we we have a, a final design now that we're going with. I have it. Uh, Mike, you have not seen it. I have but, not. I, I've uh, heard the wonders of it. Yes. I wanted to do a whole new banner. Uh, you know, the logos stay the same, but we've had the same thing forever. We've we've swapped out Toriyama artwork on the side, but, you know, we've had the Shenlong in the background. And you and I have always discussed, let's have something that's uniquely us, but it's still Dragon Ball. And so I talked to my buddy Randy, and um, he commissions artwork all the time. And I said, you know, let's let's pitch some ideas. And uh, he threw me a couple sketches, which were fantastic, different poses and this is what we came up with, and I absolutely love it. So I, I hope everybody else does, but it's something to look forward to at least. It's a nice refresh, I will say. So Kanzenshu Kai coming 2020. Yeah, there you go. So I'm I'm excited. I have not even I've been hesitant to post anything about it even on Twitter. So maybe coming up soon I can start throwing some random things up that probably won't show you a whole lot. All right, um all right. Maybe leave you wanting a little more. I don't know. That's the way to do it. Always leave them wanting more. Yeah, that's right. So, and then I think when we launch that, we'll have things that we've talked about before, some other 
exciting announcements that will go along with that. Yes, I think please. Our plan is to try to group a lot of things together. I would all like at to. Once and that makes sense. Uh, I I just want to know. I mean, I talk about this with regard to myself, but with regard to everyone, all the things you just heard. You just do because you love it. Consensue is not a job for anyone. Uh, there is no income. We have no money. <laughs> this is just a, the oldest of old school DIY fan sites still here in 2020. Uh, the amount of time that he that you sink into just making things work and, and guaranteeing that things work. And when I break them, that you fix them <laughs> is mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to say how much I appreciate that. And, uh, no one needs to do anything like that. And the fact that you're, you're still here, um, it says a lot to me. And I think it says a lot to everyone else. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I, and I hope it shows because I think we do really enjoy what we do. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't still be here. Hopefully, we're here for a lot longer. At least I'm planning on it. <laughs> me too. I don't know. Have you stepped outside lately? <laughs> Try not to. Unfortunately, I don't get much farther past my driveway. Then I have to. That all being said, www.kanzenshuu.com. It is Kanzenshu. It is not Kanzenshu. It is not Kanzenshu. It is not Kaizenshu. It is Kanzenshu. Just think of it, those three kanji, Kanzenshu. And you got it. Uh, so that has been Heath. My name is Mike. Uh, thank you to all the folks that joined us, Therese, Jay, Joe, uh, talking at you earlier. I know this is a doozy of a podcast. Uh, I actually like that. I think that's perfect and what we need right now. Uh, I know even for myself, uh, because I don't have a commute right now because uh, I'm working from home, uh, my podcast listening has been down significantly. So I actually don't know. I never look at stats. I have not looked at stats in probably 10 years. Uh, I don't know if anyone's listening to the show right now. I hope they are. <laughs> and if uh, and if you are, uh, um, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we're always going to be here. Uh, always coming back at you. Uh, that's the site. Those are the people. That is it. We'll see you next time. Bye.